חידושין דף חוף עמוד א', How to lose freedom of choice, כיוון שעבר עבירה ושנה הבאה. We learned yesterday, and we've been talking for a few days really, about the importance of free choice, and that the value of choosing to do something right is only a value because we can do something wrong. If it wasn't possible to do anything wrong, there would be no value in the right choice. We've talked about it in Gittin. It has to be easy for a man to, to divorce his wife so that when he doesn't divorce his wife, which is every day of his marriage, that's an act of choice. If it was very difficult or impossible to divorce his wife, then there would be no choice of commitment in each day. It would be something that was behechrech. It would be something that is compelled. The same with Yehud we had yesterday. A man, has to, a man who buys the labor of a young girl has to have the choice not to marry her, although the Torah would like him to marry her. That's the purpose of this transaction, is to introduce her into the home of a wealthy man who will either marry her himself or if he's got a young son, will marry her to his son. That's really the Torah's desired outcome, but he has the option not to do so, so that he should never feel compelled to marry her and she should never feel that he married her because he's compelled to marry her. There should be an understanding that he's free to do as he wishes, but he needs to have that choice. And that's why we learned yesterday in the Ritvo and the Gemara itself that when a man says, I'm selling you my daughter, but the condition is you, ca- you can't do Yehud, that's not an option, then you're being matnea ma'ashe katuv Torah, you're actually making a condition against the Torah, because the Torah wants him to have that choice, wants him to have that option. And so it is with all the mitzvahs of the Torah. The Torah wants us to have the option. Hashem doesn't reveal himself in all clarity and glory, because if he did, we would have no option but to do right. We would never do an avera. Hashem standing in front of us watching. But Hashem r- hides himself in nature, so that we're not, we're not over, overwhelmed with Hashem's presence, which enables us to make choices. And, the, and therefore, every time we choose not to do an Avera, that is a choice, that is a value. Every time we choose to do a mitzvah, that is a choice, that is a value. But we learn today that it's possible to lose our freedom of choice. And what that means, in fact, if we lose our freedom of choice, how serious that is and what that could look like if chas v'sholem that were to happen. Who is it who teaches us? It's Rav Huna who's going to teach us that principle, how you can lose your freedom of choice. When you have something very precious, you need to know how to lose it. Because if you don't know how to lose it, you're not careful, you don't protect it. So we've got to protect our freedom of choice. We've got to protect our Bechira. And our assumption is that our worldview determines the choices we make. The way you see things, your philosophy of life will determine the choices you make. What we see in Agamur, it's the other way around. It's the choices you make that determine your worldview. So where do you make your choices from? I understand if you first develop a philosophy, and based on your philosophy, you make choices in life. But we'll see today that's not really how it works. It goes the other way around. Based on the choices you make in your life, you develop your philosophy. So on what basis do you make choices? So we've got to have a system of making choices even before we've got a worldview. Because our worldview will develop out of the choices. That's our hashkafa, our philosophy develops out of halakha. And that's why we're given a body of halakha. That's why when parents raise children, you raise them in a way where they get into the habit of doing the right things. The philosophy comes later. And that's why Hashem created the human being in such a way that a child doesn't need philosophy until later on. But the child's a teenager and starts wanting philosophy. By that time, they're in a lifestyle already. And now it's a matter of, of philosophy for that lifestyle. But not starting, you have parents who say, I want to give my children the opportunity to make their own choices. I'm not going to enforce a lifestyle on them so that they can make their own choices. They can't make their own choices if you haven't forced a lifestyle on them. So the first thing is to give them a lifestyle, to give them activities which you 
believe. On what basis do you believe? Because you were taught by your parents. And on what basis was that? All the way to Sinai, back to Avram, to Yitzchak, to Yaakov. That's the way we live our lives. Now that we're living our lives, develop the worldview, develop the philosophy. Because the actions and choices we make determine our worldview, not the other way around. Where do we see this? Yeshayahu Hanavi says in Perik Hey, he's got a beautiful Perik in, in the fifth chapter of Yeshayahu where he talks about how people have just gone off the tracks. You read that Perik Hey, you read that fifth Perik, you would think he, he's talking about this year, you would think he's uh, talking about now. Hoy, he says, Whoa, how terrible it will be when, when people will, will consider bad to be good and good to be bad. Does that sound familiar? Light becomes darkness in their eyes and darkness light. And they put bitter things as sweet and sweet things as bitter. There's moral confusion in the world. They don't know what's right and what's wrong. And there's difference of opinion and people are arguing about just the simple things about right and wrong, dark and light. It becomes very subjective. It's no longer objective. And Rashi explains it very beautifully. He says the Malbim, they behave morally as one who is physically ill behaves physically. So it's a moral illness. Until he loses the capacity to discern and to be sensitive to. That's what happens when a person's ill. They, they, he loses that, that capacity. So it is with moral illness. But there's one benefit that a sick person has, which a moral, morally sick person doesn't have. A person who's ill and doesn't know what to do and, and, and can't tell the difference, who doesn't know what to eat and what not to eat and how to take care of himself, he, he goes to Dr. Howard and he asks him, tell me, what am I meant to do? I don't know what to do. I've, I'm, I'm lost. But when it comes to moral illness... In the next posuk, because when it comes to this period of time in history, the 21st century, everybody's a rov. Everybody's a Talmud Chachem. Everybody makes their decisions. They're not going to ask somebody else. And in their own faces, they see themselves as the biggest intellects that have ever been, and they sprout forth their ideas and their philosophy and what they think of things, and they're making decisions. And I'm not talking about simple halachic decisions, because there, there it's easy. You want to know, is it kosher, is it treif? So you ask somebody. But we're talking about worldview. What do we do? How do we behave? The, the Rav says in the beginning of Pirkei Avot, Moshe Kibel Torah Sinai. Moshe received the Torah from Sinai. Why does Pirkei Avot start with that? Brachas should start with that. The beginning of Shash should start with that. Why Pirkei Avot? And the Rav says, you've got to know that even Midot have to come from Sinai. Even when it comes to behavior, how to behave. This is a Mesorah that we get from Sinai. How to look at the world, how to understand the world. These are things that have to come from Halakha. These are things that have to come from tradition. Don't just make up our own minds as to how to be. How to be is something we've been given over, over centuries and millennia we've been taught how to be. And that's something that has to come from Sinai. It isn't something that we make up subjectively with each, each person thinking he's a Chochom in his own eyes. He's a Rov, he's a, he's a Talmud Chochom, he can, he can do his own thing. And being a Rov or Talmud Chochom is not about how much one knows. Today you don't have to be a Talmud Chochom to know. Even an Amma Oritz has access to chat GPT. So there's, there's no, there's not, and being a Talmud Chochom has got nothing to, do, to do, with, nothing to do with how much you know. 
Being a Talmud Chochem is who did you learn by? Who taught you how to think? Who taught you how to read a newspaper? Who taught you how to listen to the news? Who taught you how to take a view of what Das Torah is when it comes to a theory of psychology or a theory of philosophy? Who taught you, taught you how to unpack that and how to see that? Who taught you the principles of Minhagim? Who taught you of, of your Mesorah and where it came from? That's the difference between a Talmud Chochem and an Amaharit. Not whether you've got access to chat GPT or you haven't. And people who don't have that access, maybe Chachomim Be'enayim, because they've got access to chat GPT, all of a sudden they're Talmud Chachomim. Where does it all come from, this idea? The Psukim in Parshas Bahar are very interesting because if you look at them on the surface, it's a list of halachot. And it's a halachot about selling a slave, the sugis that we're busy with. A person, about selling an object, about selling a field, about selling a house, about lending money, about selling a slave. So there are a lot of halachot. They're just, it's a list of halachot. But our Gemara says this is not a list of halachot. If you read them sequentially, you'll see there's a narrative. Between these halachot, there's a story that's developing. And what's the story? The story is, the, the Gemara says, because it's telling you, in fact, that, this is Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Chanina, Adam it all starts with Shemitah. If a person does business with Shemitah produce, he'll have to sell things that he's got. He'll have to sell his metaltal, he'll have to sell objects. And if he doesn't get the message and he keeps going on, he'll have to sell his field. And if that doesn't work, he'll have to sell his house. Until eventually he, he sells his house. There's a narrative, there's a development, there's an evolution in these psukim, which one has to understand, the Gemara explains. And the Gemara is trying to use this to come to a conclusion that the Evid, a slave, gets himself into trouble through his own choices. He's had to sell, sell himself into slavery because of the way he treated Shemitah. And it's the way he, he did business during the Shemitah year. So midah keneged midah, Tosfus explains. It cause and effect, he should be able to understand what's happening to his business. And he sees his business is deteriorating, deteriorating, deteriorating. He should be able to connect that to this root cause, which lies in the way he treats Shemitah. So the Gemara asks in, in Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Chanina's statement, he has an interesting turn of phrase. And the one is that he, he says, if lohir gish, in the one case, the Gemara says, if it comes to a point and he doesn't feel that the problem has been Shemitah. If he doesn't feel the sensitivity of, oh my goodness, the reason I'm in trouble in business is because of Shemitah. He didn't feel it. And then the next time it says, It doesn't come to him until he lands up having to sell his house. Why do we move the language from he didn't sense to Ad Lo Bat Liado, explains the Gemara, this is based on Rav Hune. Rav Hune is an incredibly important Amora. To remember, Rebbe finishes the, the Tanaic period, around the year 200, he curates the Torah Shebaal Peh and edits it into the Mishnah, which seals the area of the Tanaim, and then begins that area of the Amoraim. Rav and Shmuel are the first Amoraim. They study with, with Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, and then they go back to, to Bavel, and they begin the, the Amoraic period, the period of the Gemara. And their Talmud is Rav Huna. So Rav Huna is the link between Rav and Shmuel, who's, who kind of bridge the Tana area with the Amora area, and Rav Huna is the link between Rav and Shmuel, but Rabbi is the Rebbe of Abaya and Rava, who build the whole Talmud that we have. 
So Rav Huna is this very important link, and Rav Huna has a lot of psychological insight in the Gemara, often tells us about human behavior. And he says over here, the Omer Rav Huna, Kivan she'avar adam he loses the hergesh. He loses the sensitivity. The first time he does something wrong, he feels. He's got an opportunity to say, ah, this doesn't feel right. What am I doing wrong? Maybe it's Shemitah. He's got a hargasha. He's got that sensitivity. Once, that's, once he continues and he doesn't do tshuva and he carries on doing wrong over and over again, hutralo, it becomes permissible. Hutralo salkadatach, does that really mean permissible? It becomes as if it's permissible. That's what happens when one does something wrong. The first time you do it wrong, there's, there's an oi. Rebellia used to talk about that and he used to say oi with such a, when he said oi, the whole base of Medjush pierced through your ears, the base of Medjush, the cold shivers went around everybody. He used to say, the first time you do the other, oi, what I've done. The second time, yeah. I'll do some tshuva. The third time, you don't even notice it. That's the terrible thing about the, the, the devolution, the moral devolution that comes through habit. It becomes habitual very quickly. The shanabo, you just do it twice and it's already a habit. It's already become okay. It's no longer such a, ser- such a serious issue. That's why there's, there's not that, that hargasha. This idea becomes something that we've got to be very conscious. This is something which is particularly uh, valuable for the month of Elu. The danger in that second time First time we do something wrong, it, we, we feel it. The moment we get into a second time, it becomes something much more difficult to sense, much more difficult to feel. It doesn't hurt us as much. It doesn't go against the grain. And we're not talking necessarily about the big serious Averot, although it applies to that as well, of course. But the problem is it applies to things that, that, that are, so, are relatively simple. If you look at the Rambam at the end of the fourth peric of Hilchus Tshuva, the Rambam says, tamid. There are five things that by doing them, we, they be, we can become accustomed to them. They become attractive to us. And once you've, something has become like a heter, it's very hard to separate from it. And therefore, a person must be very careful not to get close to these things because they're infectious. The moment you get close to them, they infect you. And once they've infected you, you start changing your norms of behavior. And your worldview starts changing. Nase lo keheter means your moral code, your moral compass shifts. That's what's amazing. It's not that you first have a moral compass and then you make your choices. It's your choices that design your moral compass. And as you do something that's off-center, off-center starts to become center. And now you've got a new center. And then you do something off-center, and that becomes center. We see it with society. We see it with society that there, there, there was a time where certain things which today are considered completely normal were considered completely abnormal and degenerate. That wasn't so long ago. Look how quickly normal changes in a society. What was abnormal becomes normal. It's the same in human behavior. What was abnormal to you can become normal to you. Once it's normal, then you just do it. What are these things? Rechilut, v'lashon hara, talking lashon hara, uval chema, uval machshavara'a, v'amitchaber l'rasha, just thinking badly, being friendly with bad people, having a temper, losing, getting angry. These are the things one has to be terribly careful of because they become habitual. And when they become habitual, we don't realize that they're holding us back. 
and we can't liberate ourselves from them. And with Lashon Ara, we, we need to be aware of, there's obviously the normal cases of Lashon Ara, but the period we're, we're living in, the, the Nase Lo Keheter, how many people actually think that when they open up, not the newspaper anymore, but their Google news page, or they open up the Israeli news pages, or whatever news page it is, how many people think, I'm about to be over one of the most serious Isurim in the Torah. I'm about to be listening to Lashon Hara. Because how much of the news is Lashon Hara? There used to be a time where if you disagreed with somebody, you challenged their opinions. You challenged their ideas. But that's not how it's done anymore. Now when you disagree with somebody, you assassinate their character. You discredit them. So politics and, and news and media is all about discrediting people. What is discrediting people? That's Lashon Hara. And I'm not talking about whether you agree with them or you don't. It's irrelevant. Whether you agree with the right or you agree with the left. But, but when you read what they say, right and left, it's Lashon Hara. They're, they're assassinating characters. And we do it without thinking. You read, you go through the newspaper, you scroll down your, your feed, you read, you see. And what are you reading? What do you say? How much of what you're reading is actually Lashon Hara? And we don't even think, what are you doing? I'm reading the news. Imagine if somebody said to you, what are you doing on your phone? And instead of saying you're reading the news, you said, I'm, I'm reading Lashon Hara. That would be the truth. But then at least we would know. So, so I'll stop. But we don't even see that it's Lashon Hara. We think it's news. It's not news. News is when, when events are reported. News is, is, is when you're challenging the ideas of somebody, where there's a collision, a collision of ideas in the media. That's news. Two different viewpoints. There's left and there's right, and there are different viewpoints, and there's debate. That's all news. That's worthy of reading. But to read character assassination, that's Lashon Hara. And we allow ourselves to do it without even noticing. And so we have to be careful. This is so suitable for Elul, for before Rosh Hashanah, for coming close to the beginning of the sleepless period. Just watch what we're doing and call it for what it really is so that we understand that how many things are we doing that have become permissible to us because we do it so frequently. And how many things are there that we could protect ourselves from and thereby protect our Bechira, protect our free choice, if we just would put the brakes on and understand that this is something we've got to keep a distance from and not become engaged in. <laughs>